0: All right, my guest today is Matt Frazier. Matt runs the website, podcast, and book called No Meat Athlete. Matt, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you, Aaron. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Matt, tell me a little bit about how you got started running.
1: Well, you know, I actually hated running when I was a kid, dreaded the gym class mile run every year and actually quit some sports teams because we had to run too much. And, uh, you know, just always associated pain with running, but, um, got, I got into fitness in college, just kind of weightlifting and stuff like that. And then some friends, some roommates actually came home, um, one day and we like, Hey, we have an idea. Let's lose some of this fat that we've gained by, by trying to bulk up. Um, let's, let's go run a marathon so that we can lose that. And you know, as college kids, we were like, yeah, that sounds great. If we could run a marathon, then surely we wouldn't have any." Fat on us, so just kind of as a stupid challenge, really, we said we're going to do it, and none of us were runners at all. Um, so we started training, and it didn't really go all that well. But we did end up getting the marathon done. Uh, the problem was it took us four hours and fifty-two minutes. When uh, again, being competitive college kids, we had come across the Boston Marathon and found out that, that you had to actually qualify to get in. And at our age at that time, it took a three-hour and ten-minute marathon to get in. So we had started thinking that we were going to do that. That was like our new goal. Uh, so we missed it by an hour and forty minutes, <laughs> but. Then- then, uh, but then I got obsessed with it, and for some reason just could not really couldn't stop until i until I qualified for Boston and I had no idea that it would take me seven years, but uh eventually I did get there gotcha
0: well, wow. so you you actually dropped over a hundred minutes from your the first time you ran your marathon
1: <laughs> yeah, I did, and I mean it's not that i got a hundred minutes faster because the, the first hour of that time came off from just from learning how to train correctly so that I didn't get injured and could actually complete a full training program uh, and learning how to pace myself correctly. But, you know, I mean, all that stuff that, that you learn the first time you run a marathon. Uh, so, but yeah, I mean, but yeah, I, I truly did take a hundred minutes off that first time to, to get down to Boston.
0: Wow. That's, that's pretty incredible, Matt. So you, you call yourself the no meat athlete. So when did you get started with
1: that? That was, uh, in 2009 when I was, I was at about a 320 marathon, but I was really frustrated. I got an injured in my last one and was really starting to doubt that I would be able to take those last 10 minutes off. Because once you've taken 90 minutes off your marathon, 10 more minutes is just, you know, an eternity. Mm-hmm. So. I didn't really know. I was kind of really doubting it, and then I got at the same time this ethical urge to become vegetarian, completely unrelated to running. I thought that going vegetarian would would you know mean not enough protein, not enough calories, mm-hmm. and would just be the total end of my marathon training, basically. But I was so fed up with the progress towards Boston at that point that I said, you know what, I'm just gonna do it and go vegetarian, and then see what happens. I'm gonna start a blog about it to make it you know fun and just talk about this challenge, and maybe maybe there will be some other people who are involved with it, and I mean who are also vegetarian but also want to be able to run. And so I just, I just started the blog then and it turned out to do really well. And what shocked me was that six months after I went vegetarian, uh, I actually finally did take those last 10 minutes off and qualify for Boston when I was expecting the exact opposite. So that, you know, from there, I really didn't look back and and said, this works and kind of refined it since then.
0: Mm -hmm. So you've been doing this since 2009. Have you, have you noticed, do you feel ever feel like you're missing out on anything by just eating plants and vegetables?
1: no i've never felt that i 'm missing out on anything um i think I think if you do it the junk food way and you're not careful and and all you eat is carbohydrate, then sure you are going to end up missing stuff but I mean the same thing with a with an omnivorous diet, if you just start eating junk food and, and you 're not really paying attention to what you eat, then sure you can miss out on stuff that way too mm-hmm. um, so no, I mean really, I felt tremendous energy gains within the first few weeks of going vegetarian really within the first week, um probably just from eating foods that were less calorically dense so that my stomach wasn 't as full. Um, and then I noticed that I was recovering faster than I had in previous years. And I think that was a big part in my getting to to Boston that summer. But I I do like one of the reasons I got faster was that I lost seven pounds in the first three to four weeks and leveled off there, thankfully, because I was actually worried that I was going to get too thin. But I think that seven pounds made a big difference. Like that, that was, I do not deny that that was a big part of, of those last 10 minutes off my marathon time. So I would say that's the one Area that I don't know if I'd call it a struggle, but that's what I, what I have to focus on is making sure that I eat enough. I never really used to have to do that; I could just kind of eat normal meals and and be fine. But since I've gone vegetarian and then going further and becoming vegan, um, it is something that I just have to make sure I do. Like it's easy for me if I just only eat when I'm hungry and don't really think about it, then I'll start dropping weight and I'll I'll just I'll be at a weight that is lower than what I really want to be. Mm. Um, and you know I don't know that it would impact my my exercise or my energy, but just I mean just from the perspective of looking too thin, I just don't like. Looking Looking super thin, so so that that's the struggle. It's not not a protein or anything like that. It's just it's just a matter of eating enough.
0: Mm-hmm. So so Matt, you 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 basically what kind of diet were you on before you went? Vegetarian and then eventually vegan. Um, and do you, do you think the performance improvement was just um, the higher quality nutrition, or what exactly was going on th- with that?
1: I had had learned a lot about nutrition. I mean, for a, a college guy and like someone right after college, not super serious, but you know, like any serious runner would pay attention to nutrition. So I had actually done the paleo diet for a while, um, and I had arrived at this point, and then my, you know had the ethical stuff start to creep up, creep up with the vegetarian. So I was at a point where I was eating. All the time, like chicken breast, turkey breast, just lots of like lean meats, um, lots of complex carbohydrates, brown rice, some whole grains, nuts, not a whole lot of vegetables though. Like I would eat fruit and snack on that throughout the day, but very often it would be chicken breast and brown rice for dinner and it would just be convenient not to put that vegetable on the plate. Mm -hmm. So- I think a huge part of of the benefits that I experienced when I changed to a vegetarian diet and then a vegan one wasn't so much that I eliminated meat from my diet. Um, You know, I I think in the long term that might be important. In the short term, I don't really agree with with the vegans and and vegetarians who say meat is poison and it's going to destroy your athletic goals in the short. I mean, you just don't. I just don't see that happening. So I don't really buy that. So I don't think the benefit is from losing the meat. I think the benefit for me was from gaining all the vegetables because once that became, you know, basically the only thing. I was eating, then, then I had to start eating vegetables. So I massively increased the variety of vegetables I was eating, really built my meals around vegetables. And it was just, you know, the plate just changed from one that was, that was kind of dull, um, I think pretty low nutrient food as far as micronutrients go to much, much higher quantities of micronutrients in perhaps fewer calories. So I think that that distinction was was one of the big things. I think that that stuff probably is what helped me feel like I was recovering faster. Um, But, you know, it's just just speculation. I don't really know for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what is it about the
0: vegan diet that, you know, keeps you going on it, that really motivates you to stick with it? Um, Is it the way that you You know, what what is it that kind of made it stick?
1: Well, like I said, I mean, it it has led me to feeling healthier than I've ever felt before. And it's... for whatever reason, it is a diet that for me leads me to make the best food choices I think that I can. Like when I was eating the other way, it was okay. I was trying to focus on being healthy, but for whatever reason, it just didn't lead me to eat a whole lot of plant foods. And I think that's really a valuable thing. Mm -hmm. So that has kept me going. I mean, that's, that's been a great benefit. But the other one, I mean, I'm not going to lie is, is an ethical one. You know, I, I don't want to eat any part of any, any portion of meat or animal products in my diet. Um, just because I don't really feel right about doing that. So like nutritionally speaking, you know, I, I totally buy the arguments and the and the you know you look at the you know longest lived populations in history and and none of them are completely vegan like they all have a very small amount of meat for the most part and it's i think generally a smaller one than most paleos eat you know or certainly what most people eat mm-hmm. but but what what the maybe not the pure form of paleo, but kind of the marketing-ish form that, that has kind of transformed a little bit. I think that probably eats more meat than than what these longest lived populations do. But anyway, I, I don't deny at all that, that meat could have a role in a very healthy diet in, in these small portions. It's But my choice not to have that you know 5% or, or 3% of my calories coming from animal products um, is just an ethical one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: So tell me a little bit more about how you actually went about dropping 100 minutes in your marathon time. I mean, that's pretty incredible. What 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 kind of training was it that got you there?
1: Or or do you feel that it was really the diet that kind of took you the last little bit? Well, I, I do think the diet took me that last bit. Um, I think just based on everything else I had experienced, once I switched to a vegetarian diet, I was I just felt like I was working out better. And, and I'm not saying it's going to happen for everyone, but for me, it worked really well. I just felt like I was able to get in more workouts than I could before um, without the injury coming along. Because in the past, when I had tried to work out three or four hard workouts per week, the injury would creep up after four or five weeks of that. And this time it didn't. Now, certainly that could have been that I was a better runner or training somewhat differently or what, you know, but I think the diet played a part. But the other 90 minutes of that, I mean, I mean, that you know that wasn't really diet at all. Not certainly not a vegetarian diet, but that was really just learning how to train. I mean, the first thing I had to learn because when I when I first trained for that marathon, I got shin splints, which turned into a stress fracture, and then took some rest, and then got back to training, and you know was did okay, completed the race without injury. But it took me four years to run another marathon because I wasn't running in a way that that my shins could really support. So every time I would start training, I would start getting the shin pain after a few weeks, and then I would hang up the shoes basically and get frustrated and then a few months later try it again and have the same result. So what I had to learn first was that it's okay to run slowly because I was, like I said, super competitive and, you know, macho college guy and I was... I was just trying to train hard every workout. I was trying to train at my race pace all the time. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge distinction for me. was just learning that you can't do that. You have to have difficult workouts followed by very, very easy days, Um, just like training any muscle in the gym. I mean, you can't do it every single day. But for some reason with running, I didn't make that connection as quickly. So- Uh, working, you know, just working in a lot of really easy runs, like where you're, where you're below anaerobic threshold and you're like at a conversational pace where it's, it's almost stress-free to run. Um, That became a really big part of my training. And I think that was important. And then from there, I had to work on form. I had to learn about increasing my turnover rate to around 180 steps per minute because I think I was really taking much much slower than that, and I was that was a big part of the, the impacts and problems I was having with my shins. Uh, and then you know that from there, I just kind of kept. I just tried a bunch of different training programs. I tried Jack Daniels' program um, from Daniels' Running Formula. I tried. I did the Core Performance. The Mark Verstegen. Um, he has some some really good core workouts and some and an interesting approach to endurance training. So I tried that and then finally I tried the run less run faster program and that was that was the one that I was doing at the very the very last time when I did qualify for Boston. So, you know, I was just trying a bunch of new stuff. I was brand new to running basically and and over these 7 years started digging into programs and keeping what what worked for me and getting rid of what didn't and uh, you know, it, it just it happened. I mean, it was a lot of work. I had to really focus on it. I had to do what I could to stay motivated when I was when I was making progress that wasn't that fast, but You know, it wasn't looking back at it. It wasn't anything miraculous. It was just small incremental improvements that that I kind of just stuck with over seven years.
0: Mm -hmm. So you said a big part of that performance improvement uh, was the diet, but you also mentioned that it was your running form and trying to get a faster cadence. Um, Did that involve minimal running shoes or was that just, uh, you know, training your body to have a quicker turnover?
1: I started getting into the minimal shoes, but I really didn't do that until after I qualified for Boston, um, mainly because I didn't start hearing about that stuff until that final six months. And at that point, things were going so well, and I just, I thought I was on a track now to qualify for Boston that I didn't want to mess with it and made myself wait until after I qualified before I got my five fingers and tried that out. Um, I don't run in those anymore. I do run now in Brooks Pure Drift, which is a pretty minimal shoe, just not not quite as minimal as the five fingers or those those barefoot style shoes. Mm-hmm. Um What I have come to believe now is that minimal running, like minimal shoe running can get you to the same place as deliberately focusing on your form and increasing your turnover in a non-minimalist shoe. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if you, to, to increase your turnover to around 180 steps per minute, you have to shorten your stride. You have to make it lighter and quicker. Your weight starts to stay over your feet and that just naturally starts to make you not do this extreme heel strike that, that, you know, the modern running shoe and, and traditional, you know, not thinking about cadence that tends to, to lead to this heel strike. So if you, alternatively, if you don't worry about any of that and you just get minimalist shoes and learn to run in them without pain, you're going to make those same sorts of adaptations to your form. And I think you'll get a very similar place whether you do it with minimalist shoes or not, um, as long as your focus is on the form and you're not just doing what the modern shoes allow you to do and taking that big heel heel strike. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So for listeners out there, what are some tips about or what are some ways to increase your cadence without going to the minimal running shoe?
1: Well, what I did actually, and this was before it was a really popular thing, like when I was, this was, this was, I don't know, six years ago now, getting into it, you couldn't just Google 180 beats per minute songs and find a whole list like you can now, which is awesome. So by all means do that. You can get uh, a metronome, you can, most running stores have them. Um, So that's, that's all great. And you can, you can do that stuff. That works totally fine one thing that I did was just stand at a treadmill. And I didn't really like treadmill running, but for this purpose, I did it. And just kind of fix your stride with the clock on the treadmill and take three steps per second. And just make sure that every time that second ticks, you're on your basically your fourth step. You've taken three steps in each second so that each time a new one happens, you're on the fourth one. Um, and that's kind of hard to explain in words, I guess, but maybe people can visualize it. So that's really what I did. I just did some 20-minute some to 30-minute runs where every single step was right in line with the clock on the treadmill. And after doing that for like two weeks, I felt like... Like it was really starting to, to become grooved and it wasn't something I had to think about all the time. And then after that, I would just check my watch now and then when I was running like on the trail um, and make sure that I, I was running along around that cadence. But getting a good song is great. If you can find one, You just Google it. Um, but that, that, that's really helpful. Just have it in your headphones and just go with it. And then one other thing that I would suggest is it does feel really, really weird to change your running form because you know you, your brain and your body have learned how to run a certain way for all these years, and then you try to switch it, and it's it's weird. I mean, the muscles aren't there, the the neural connections aren't there. So, what what works really well, or what I think is a great tip, um, is to out of every five minutes of your run, like just pick thirty seconds at first where you're going to focus on doing that form. And then set your watch, and so every five minutes you do thirty seconds of good form, and then go back to your normal running. And then a week later, make that a minute of good form for every five minutes of running, and keep increasing it so that after a month or you know two months, it's all that entire five minutes is almost the good form running with only thirty seconds of just sloppy whatever you feel like running. And by then, it's going to be that's going to be your your main your baseline will be the the good form so that you can it starts to uh, to stick pretty easily. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that, I think that's a great that's a great tip, Matt. Uh, tell, let's go back to diet a little. Once you get started with this uh, what what's it like practically speaking as far as making your food choices and and making sure like you said earlier that you're getting enough food because vegetables usually don't have a lot of calories so
1: how do you go about that on a daily basis well one of the things that i did from the very beginning because i was like i said i didn't know anything about this and i didn't know I was just so new to to vegetarianism and had never really thought about it much and just jumped into it. So I thought protein was going to be a huge issue. Mm -hmm. And I I found out that it's not that big an issue. But one thing I did from the very beginning was just make sure that in every single meal or snack I ate, of which I had probably six per day, um, that I included something that I viewed as a protein-rich, calorie-rich food. So this would be like if I was going to eat a bagel, I would spread almond butter on it or hummus on it. When I was having the smoothie that was mostly vegetables, back then I put some protein powder in there, but I've since stopped doing that, I would make sure to include that protein powder or some nuts and seeds that would give me some extra fats and protein, um, calories in general. So just all the time, if I was going to eat a big salad for a meal, make sure to add beans to it. Or although I'm eating less oil now, you know, make sure to put some oil on there, get the calories that way. So, you know, just all the time, make sure I don't fall into the rut of eating plain pasta with, with red sauce on it for my dinner. You know, I did not want to become that type of vegetarian. And, uh, and for the most part, I've been very successful in not doing that. So, Practically speaking, I mentioned the big salad and the smoothie. Those are two things that I eat pretty much every single day. I'll start the morning with a raw smoothie. It has four tablespoons of nuts and seeds in it. You know, just a mix of flax seeds, chia seeds, walnuts, and pumpkin seeds. Um, some fruit and then a bunch of greens in there, whatever greens I happen to have around. And that, that works really well. And then the, the equivalent to that sort of in the afternoon is this massive salad, which is nutritionally very similar to that smoothie because a lot of the same stuff is there. It's just not blended up and it's, it's kind of savory tasting rather than sweet. Uh, but those two things really keep me on track. I feel like if I if I start eating junk food for a morning, you know, it's only a few more hours until then when I have that big salad. And it just kind of resets me and brings me back. So I can't really go off on too much of a, you know, like a tangent where I'm just eating junk food for two days. It just doesn't really happen very much with those two anchors in there. Mm-hmm.
0: Are, are there any special considerations that um, people if they're thinking about, you know, hey, this sounds like a great approach, and they wanted to try it, do they need to be careful about things like iron and B12?
1: I'm not sure. I mean, iron is something to pay attention to for sure and be aware of deficiency symptoms. And I mean, you know, just if, if for some reason you have any history of that, then yes, definitely be careful with that. And if it does become a problem, you know, look at food combinations and absorption things because very often it's not amounts as much as absorption, um, that, that is the problem, but B12 definitely. I mean, that's, that's something that you, there's a little bit of argument about it nowadays, but most people or the people that I trust, you know, really believe that you cannot get B12 from, a, a fully plant-based diet unless you supplement. So yeah, absolutely. Supplement, supplement with that. And I I made the mistake. I think I became deficient in it because when I went vegan, I had heard or read somewhere that your body has years and years of B12 stored up if you've eaten an omnivorous diet. And you know, I'm not totally positive because I never confirmed this with blood work, but I started to feel like I was experiencing some of the symptoms of B12 deficiency after about two years being vegan and two years before that being vegetarian. So I, I think it is worth it. I think it's worth supplementing. It's just not something to fool around with. And, uh, I guess there are some sort of purist types who, who, you know, don't want to believe that you need to supplement a vegan diet and that it should be, it should be totally good on its own without supplementation. But in practice, I don't believe that is, is the case. So, um, I would definitely pay attention to B12 and then, and then be aware of the other ones. Yeah. I mean, Look at, like, look at your entire diet. Look at a sample day of it of what you're eating or what you're proposing to eat on your vegetarian or vegan diet. And I'm not saying you do this every day, but look at a few sample days and figure out exactly what are the, the contents of protein, carbohydrates, fat, and then all the minerals and vitamins that you're concerned about. Um, you know, it, it's responsible to do so for, for yourself. So it, it's worth doing. And once you do it once and see that, yes, a typical day is within these ranges or close enough, then you can kind of assume that, that most of the time you're going to be there. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great advice, Matt. So Matt, what are you doing now with your with your website and with your book? Are you, are you coaching or are you kind of just putting information out there for people to learn from? What do you got going on over
1: at uh, No Meat Athlete? Well, I don't really do any coaching. I mean, I do a tiny bit. Um, Jason Fitzgerald, who I think you've had on the podcast before, mm-hmm. he and I launched a joint a membership website about qualifying for Boston. And uh, you know, he, he's really a great running coach, and he knows tons about technical running stuff that I really don't. But as part of that, we have a program and, and we do coaching calls with people. So I do a little bit of coaching in that way. But I'm not a certified coach or anything like that, uh, so I don't do that as a, as a big source of my income. Really, it's about selling um, a bunch of stuff. I mean, T-shirts, other kind of merchandise like that. Mm-hmm. Ebooks, training program type things, uh, a bunch of that. So, I mean, it's—I guess you could call it coaching, but it's not one-on-one in, in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, a lot of the ways that typical typical blogs make money—I don't actually run any ads. I'm kind of thinking about it, but I've, so far I've, I've done it with just selling my own stuff, and I kind of like that a little bit better. So cool,
0: cool. Yeah. Well, Matt, it's been great talking with you today. Thanks so much for being on the show. Sure, it was a pleasure. Good questions.